0: This is Grounded, a podcast from Michigan Sugar Company. Grounded is intended to explore our history, the tradition that's made us great, and the ideas to drive us into the future. Grounded is hosted by Jim Ruhlman, Michigan Sugar Company Executive Vice President. And now, here's Jim Ruhlman.
1: Welcome to Grounded. With us today, we have Mr. Jason Lowry. Jason is our Vice President of Operations for Michigan Sugar Company. He's worked in the sweetener business for his entire professional career, spanning 24 years. He worked for six of those years in corn milling, making high fructose corn syrup, artificial sweeteners, and fuel ethanol, six years in the cane industry in Australia, and the remainder in the beet sugar processing world between Montana, North Dakota, and Michigan. Jason, thanks for coming.
0: Thanks for having me, Jim. Yep.
1: With most of our listeners being shareholders or growers of Michigan Sugar Company, I think They're probably wondering most how campaign started off. We started a little bit earlier this year. They're digging a little bit earlier, but I think they're wondering how factories are going and how startup went.
0: Yeah, thanks, Jim. I think to talk about startup, we need to go back to the finish of the last campaign. We didn't finish up until about April 9th, April 10th, which was quite late for us. And at the same time, everyone will remember we were undergoing the covid pandemic and trying to figure out how to manage that with that late finish and with the number of employees that were out whether quarantined or self-quarantined we lost a lot of hours over the inner campaign period and when you couple that with the early start we didn't have quite the amount of time that we would normally have for the maintenance we worked around that by offering overtime throughout most of the summer period didn't get a whole lot of uptake on that So we ended up hiring out quite a bit to our contractors. And in any case, we were ready to go in the last week, week and a half. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't completely smooth. That's what you would expect at a period like that where it was shortened, plus you had significant outside contractors in. Mm -hmm. But last week on Wednesday, we were planning to start up both Croswell and Carroll. And both of them finally started up on Friday. At Croswell, the evaporator station wasn't quite ready. And we found that as we were starting to get going, got that all sealed up and going and operating. And at Caro, in anticipation of the long season, we had emptied out the flume water circuit as low as we could go to give ourselves the most capacity, and it ended up being too much. Okay. So it took a day or two there to get the water back. But since that time, both of those factories since Friday have been running quite well, both making good quality sugar. At the Seaboyne factory, we put that start up off until Monday, and that was due to a capital project extending out longer than August 12th. On Monday at 11 o'clock, they took off, and relatively speaking, they've been running very well since that point. And at Bay City, we did get up running just last night at about 9 p.m. So it sounds like you're hitting stride. you got four factories
1: running today, and it feels like you're ready to roll.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'd say at three factories, we're now to the point that we're optimizing. So it's no longer about the startups and the bumps and finding things that you weren't expecting, which is where Bay City is currently. Mm -hmm. But at the other three factories, we're up and rolling, we're making white sugar, and we're starting to optimize the operation.
1: Okay. As we look at our crop right now, we did start harvest early. Since we've started harvest or planned harvest, we've gotten some very timely rains, and the crop seems to growing extremely well it's extremely healthy as we look down the road and I know you got to get ramped up early here in campaign but as we get into our processing season or our slicing season and if we see yields increase like they could are there things in the factory you can do to increase slice and
0: what are the pros
1: and cons of increasing slice if you do have that option
0: the number one mitigation strategy against the larger crop is the start early. So we yeah. made that decision. We did start early. Yeah. And the best part about that is you can never get that time back if you let it go. So if we had started up a week and a half from now, yields went up, you can't get that back. Sure. That was one of the main reasons for that decision. Once that's happened, though, so looking forward, we get timely rains. The crop goes up by a ton. That adds a week. So what can we do in the factory if the yields go up? There are balances that you can trade off with each other, but they're all interrelated. So okay. let's say, for instance, that we had the capacity to push more through the towers, but we would lose on pulp loss. You can make that decision. We have done it in the past. But the trade-off is that you're now putting more sugar into your pulp. Right. People like Mac Midwest Ag are customers that pull that product. We'll start seeing that, and that can cause issues on their side. I see. Depending on the quality of the crop, we can either be limited by our mass throughput, where we can make changes and give up some losses. We can put more sugar into the molasses, although with our system, we only reclaim about 60% of that through MDS. Yeah. And depending on the purities coming through, we can up some slice through the evaporator capacities as well. I see.
1: Maybe we'll switch gears just a little bit and go back to your career and maybe your upbringing. You've been in the sweetener business for 24 years. Let's kind of rewind to maybe your college days coming out of college. Was the sweetener business, is it something you always had your eye on or did you kind of fall into it? Maybe kind of talk to us about your college background and then how you got
0: into the sweetener industry in general. Sure. So I went to Montana State University, and I got my chemical engineering degree. And at the time coming out of there, there were three industries that primarily hired. One was oil, and I knew I didn't want to work in fossil fuels and oil. Yeah. The other was semiconductor. And when I toured their facilities, it was more of an electrical engineering than a chemical engineering. And the other was food. And one thing I always thought is if the stock market or the economy goes up and down, people are still going to eat. Yeah, it's a stable industry. And after touring some of the facilities, these are big facilities Mm -hmm. and there's a lot going on inside of them. There's the process for making sugar has been around for a couple of hundred years, yet we're still every day finding new ways to do it better and continuously improve. So it really did strike a chord with me. Okay. So what was your first job in the sweetener industry? Very first job was as a shift supervisor at a Cargill Corn milling wet mill in Eddyville, Iowa. Okay. And with Cargill, you come in as an engineer, they put you on a shift, and you have to, and I think it's a very good process, mm-hmm. you have to work with the operators for at least six months up to two years, and you get to see what they're doing every day. Which the reason I find that so important is because you understand the value that's added on the front line, mm-hmm. and you also understand the challenges rather than moving straight into an engineering or a managerial role where you haven't actually encountered it.
1: I see. So from Cargill, was your next job at American
0: Crystal then? Yeah. Within Cargill, I did the shift supervisor, then project engineering, then did production supervision. Okay. And that was in high fructose corn syrup and ethanol, erythritol, and plastics, PLA, plastics from corn. Okay. So, I did that for six years and then my next job was in sydney montana okay back, back to montana back to my home state, state yeah but that was uh, at that point an american crystal sugar factory previous to that uh, holly sugar factory okay so
1: you go from the corn milling industry to the beet sugar industry
0: and then you make a career move to australia tell us about that I had been working at that point in Fargo, North Dakota, which is one of the coldest places on earth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'd been working there for about 10 years and I got a phone call from a recruiter asking okay. if I wanted to move down by the Great Barrier Reef in Australia. Mm-hmm. Okay. And while I loved the job that I was doing, I loved the industry, it was mm-hmm. an opportunity that I couldn't pass up for me and my family. Sure. And so we moved down there and I worked for the second largest cane miller in Australia. Okay.
1: So then Michigan Sugar's in need for a vice president of operations. You're in Australia. I don't know if you were contacted by a recruiter or if you got word from someone else, but what was the intrigue to come back to the beet sugar industry or back to the States?
0: My family and I, from a location perspective, we love living in Australia. Mm-hmm. But from a professional satisfaction The beet milling industry I always felt most at home at, both at at Sydney and at uh, American Crystal. It just struck a chord with me, and I can come back to that and why the industry, I think, is so well-situated. But uh, in Australia, I got the phone call from a recruiter asking if I wanted to come back, and when I left, there was only two companies that I would have come back to work for, and that was Michigan Sugar and American Crystal. Okay. And I knew of Mark Flagenheimer through the industry. I knew of the location that Michigan has and the benefit that that provides. And I know it's a good company that has spent some really good money in the factory. So it it did intrigue me. Okay.
1: And we're glad you're here. (laughs) (laughs) If you've gone through your career in the sweetener industry, maybe list three things that you've learned that are common in all of your jobs and all of those positions Across the states and in Australia. Maybe it's just the way you handle certain things, or what are some common things that you've learned in your career through those three companies?
0: Well, first and foremost, at every job I've been in, it's safety is number one. Okay. So making sure that the employees come to work and go back home in the same condition that they were in, that's on us as a management team. To provide a safe work environment, train the employees so that they can identify the risks and that they can work around those on their own. That's okay. that's number one, Okay. no matter where you're at. Number two, and this is specific to the industry, the beet sugar industry in particular with the co-op model, it's really amazing how we are right from the seed going into the ground right out to the shelf with the customer. Mm-hmm. Two other companies that I work for, one was disconnected on both ends. So all you saw was your own little value chain inside the factory. I see. And then at American Crystal, the product goes Mm. off to resellers or United, Mm -hmm. and your connection to the customer really isn't there. I see. Where here at Michigan Sugar, we've got Pedro right down the hall. Mm -hmm. In fact, just today he was beating on me because we've got customers that need sugar. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So that value chain, I think, is very
1: important. Okay. So when you come to Michigan Sugar Company, you walk in the door, you're in your office, and
0: you start making the rounds to the different factories. What are the things that surprised you most? The biggest surprise for me coming into Michigan Sugar was that here we had four factories, and all of them have experts in each area. So each factory will have somebody who knows the most about diffusion, somebody who knows the most about filtration, somebody who knows the most about crystallization. They never cross pollinated it. I see. So, you know, coming in, I was talking to the factory managers and I just asked them, how often do you guys get together and talk? Mm -hmm. Well, they didn't. So, you know, we had all these great resources, but we're not utilizing them as well as we should. So since I've got here, my staff meets once a month, aside from now with COVID, we haven't been able to meet for a bit, but we all get together once a month. We've got the production superintendents getting together once a month, the maintenance managers getting together and, Two things. There's the formal side of it where they're talking about very specific issues. Mm -hmm. But the informal side of it is now each of those people have three resources that they can pick up the phone and call. Hey, I've got hazy juice at first carb. Have you seen that? What did you do? I see. It was surprising to me that the company wasn't promoting that.
1: I gotcha. I guess the next question for me, Jason, is when you look at a sugar factory, there's all this equipment, there's these chemical processes. There's all of this
0: instrumentation,
1: there's people to manage. What do you like most about your job?
0: The thing I like most about my job is the people and going out, getting together with the people on the floor who are operating, the managers at the site, and just, I like opening with what's bugging you today? What's eating your lunch? Mm -hmm. (laughs) How are you doing? And how can we all work together to
1: solve those problems? I see. So that kind of leads into my next thought or next conversation point it sounds like you're a people person. It sounds like you want to coach and train. But what is your philosophy and leadership style? Is it one where you want collaboration? Is it one where you need you need a leader to set the tone? What combination of practices, procedures,
0: and human interaction works best for you as a leader? For me, and I think it's come out a bit already, it's all about collaboration. So okay. sitting in a room in a vacuum and making a decision is... In my opinion, never as good as getting four people in a room and talking it out. Okay. You know, you'll you'll learn from somebody; they'll learn from you; they'll understand your decision-making process and some of the experiences that I've had. Mm-hmm. So, I, I think for me, it's all about collaboration. Okay, and it's about training and putting structure in place so that the people coming behind us will have the same opportunities.
1: I gotcha. So, when you talk about the people coming behind you having the same opportunities. When you finish your career as a professional, whether it's in the sweetener industry or some other
0: industry, what do you want to be known for? What I would like to be known for, and I think it flows right to our mission statement. Okay, It's about creating growth and opportunity for people. So setting up the training opportunities so that people understand the theory, understand the entire process in the sugar mill and how different things that they're changing today can have an impact on the person downstream. Setting the structure up so that that's in place so that it's not by word of mouth next time when somebody leaves. Mm -hmm. That's what I'd like. So long after I'm gone, the technical level of the floor people here who add the value Mm -hmm. is higher and continues to stay high. I gotcha. Maybe we'll circle back to how we started the
1: conversation campaigns up and going, factories are slicing. Are there any specific goals you have for the factories, the campaign? It seems like you're a very people oriented, collaborative type of manager. But I also know that there's some key metrics that you kind of look at. Are there some goals or some things that at the end of campaign, you can look back and say it was successful because of this?
0: No matter what, we need to have an extraction above 80%. We we had a few factories last year that didn't get there. And there were reasons for that, but there's a lot that we can do inside the factories to get our extraction up. And with good purity beets and high sugar, we can get it even higher than that. But I think 80 has to be a minimum for us. Okay. So that's one slice rate last year was lower than we would like. And again, there were reasons for that with wet harvest, Mm -hmm. but- we need to have a slice rate above 20,000 and we're shooting for 20,500 or even better. We're yeah. gonna, we're going to get as good as we can, but okay. if we don't hit those two metrics by the end of the season, then we've got some hard work ahead of us. Okay. Is there anything else you want to offer? I, I think you've
1: I think we've covered some really good things. I think the growers probably understand you a little bit more than maybe they did before we started our podcast. I'm certainly happy and proud that you're here joining us on the podcast and with Michigan Sugar Company. Factory operations is critically important to our business. And I think we got the right guy leading the group. So I really, really appreciate you being here today.
0: I appreciate that, Jim. Yeah. I really appreciate the culture of the company. It's a big company, yet it still has that family feel to it. Yeah. And I have a very motivated team of employees that are working with and for me that I think we can accomplish some great things. Okay. Good luck to you this campaign. Thanks, Jim. Yeah. This has been Grounded. If you'd like to hear an episode on a specific topic, please email your ideas to grounded at michigansugar.com. Thanks for listening and check back soon for another edition of Grounded.